welcome to another edition of the Event Industry News Podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Laurie Hoinkes, the Managing Director of Montgomery Events. If you don't know who Montgomery Events are, go and check them out. But um, the research that I've done, interestingly, 124 years old, mm -hmm. um, running over 65 events and exhibitions internationally, Asia Pacific, Middle East, in, in lots of quite diverse and portfolios and, and, and industries and stuff like that, Laura. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at uh, Montgomery, and, and also a bit about the events and, and kind of the industries that you support? Sure. So first, you know, I should just explain that we're, Montgomery Events is part of Montgomery Group. So Montgomery Group has the 65 different events all around the globe. Uh, been around for uh, very close to 125 years, and uh, and I run Montgomery Events, which is a subset of the group. And so Montgomery Events, uh, we focus mainly on. Uh, food, drink, and hospitality. So we run the UK's largest food, drink, and hospitality events, as well as a, a number of different niche events in the UK and also in the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, and I've been uh, with the company for just over three years now. I just had my three-year anniversary. So um, fairly new to, to, to exhibitions. It was my first time kind of like coming into this space and I love it. So uh, yeah, that's us. Okay, we are currently running this podcast or recording it, which will go out in the in the next week or so. Um, still in lockdown, still in in the current pandemic. How is how is Montgomery fared during this time? Um, you know, what's what's the situation look like for you guys as a as a company? So actually, I think we fared better than we expected. And because if you'd asked us a few months ago, oh, could everyone work remotely? People would have said, oh, no, no, we need to be in our teams. And, um, and it's actually worked really well. And we had, we had a few things that we'd wanted to, I, I love technology. And I was kind of like, I, guys, we have Office 365. Why aren't we using, you know, OneDrive? And why aren't we, you know, getting, getting on board with Microsoft Teams? And there's all these things we could do. And there was really no traction uh, yeah. at all to get there. And now we're like, you know, able to bulk edit um, files and have all these sort of Teams meetings or Zoom, whatever is appropriate. And so we've just embraced a whole new way of working. And so from that point of view, I think that's a little silver lining, really. Yeah. So we're, we're getting on uh, sort of business as usual. But because we run events, obviously, depending on when the different events are scheduled, we have more or less uh, comfort with how, how likely they are to go forward. And, and that's something we need to be evaluating on yeah, you, a daily you, basis. You obviously run events internationally as well. Uh, do you see certain markets potentially coming back before maybe here in Europe and the UK? I've, I've heard things about Asia Pacific and, and those regions potentially st starting to kick off events, um, which is good news. And I suppose that will, would filter this way. Is that what is that what you guys are seeing? Yeah. So we have a, a managing director out in Singapore, Chris McEwen. And, and, and so listening to so we have a catch up call a couple times a week, actually. Mm -hmm. And and, and it de definitely seems like there will be, you know, a, a first moving first movement will be out in Asia and it'll be interesting to watch how things go and uh, and you know just try and gather some lessons learned from from others yeah we absolutely. also have an we also have an agency as well OTSA and so they work with organizers you know all over as well and so listening to to, to the information that they can gather has been really useful that's awesome. And we're not here to talk about the pandemic too much. I've, I'm, I want to talk to you about your super high interest in technology and data and how 
Montgomery are using that to better understand their audience. But my one last question to you just on this current situation is, when events and exhibitions come back, what do you think personally that might look like? Do you think it'll look like what we're used to, we're used to six weeks ago or more? Or do you think that the format might have to change and adapt slightly to deal with certain social distancing restrictions and, and I suppose the, the interest levels of attendees and, and exhibitors? I mean, that's a hard one to answer. I think longer term, you know, 18 months, two years out, things will go back to fairly close to normal, but there'll be some, some slight differences and shifts. And I think people might engage virtually a little bit more sort of in the, you know, maybe not at the event, but in the lead up to the event. So engaging their audience on a more 365 kind of way, leveraging some of the new tricks we've learned. But, um, but I think people crave live events and that will, that will still be strong. But I think the next 18 months, it, it's going to be a little bit of a transition and we will probably see where some venues and events it does make sense and they can still operate with a certain amount of social distancing but i would say for our events that that would be a, cha a challenge for for us you know just based on our cost structure and being able to give a, the right return on investment to our exhibitors if we were having to meter people in and, and keep yeah. them distanced it it that would be pretty difficult to do. Yeah, I think I think I, I agree with you. Exhibitions work in the format that you do and, and have them for even longer than Montgomery's been around, right? If you look back at the first yeah. exhibition, the, the format, the aisles, the way the exhibitors and, and attendees interact hasn't drastically changed too much. We've, we've learned more about event design. That's That's got to be true and how to filter people around an exhibition. But I can't see, I think some of the heart and soul and the buzz of what you would see, you feel at an exhibition would be lost by almost the Ikea style, you know, yeah. you, you have yeah. to, you have to wait your turn or like what we're used to now at Tesco and Sainsbury's and things like that. Talking <laughs> I mean, the, the screen between us. Hello. The exhibitors might love it because they're like, we get to speak to every single person that comes past us. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you shall not pass until you've spoken to me and I've scanned your badge. But, you know, I think I think you're, you're very right. I, it's really hard to predict. It's really hard to determine what events will look like over the next um, 6, 12, 18 months. Um, but what I'm very positive and confident about is that the appetite for them has not gone away. Um, from an organizational point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, people want to kick business back off, right? They want to, yeah. and, and what better way to kickstart business than something like an exhibition where you could get, you can get so much work done, so many meetings and so much yeah. business done in such a short period of time. It's a really cost-effective and streamlined process to, to do that. And that's why obviously we see exhibitions all around the world for every, every sector. So we'll see, I guess we'll, we'll see. But brings me on to, I suppose what you guys were doing before this all happened and 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 probably are working very hard on still now and and that's around the data and and the digital side of montgomery right yeah. I, I don't want to kind of take away and explain explain too much but can you take us back to the to the to the first point in which you started to to look at your data and the way that you were approaching visitors and exhibitors and why you might have changed the way that you were looking at that that information. Sure. So, um, so like I said, I'm fairly new to this industry, and I came out of um, from a manufacturing background, and mainly did transformation. So it could be physical transformation, digital transformation, looking at systems and processes and how things are done. So that's sort of how I approach everything. 
And uh, when I was starting to interview for the role, obviously I did a lot of research. And uh, one of the things I said in my interview to the group managing director, Damian Angus, was that I believed he had a data company, mm-hmm. not an exhibition company. And he just happened to collect his data through running exhibitions. And that any strategy we put in place needed to be a data strategy more so than anything else. And it probably sounded at the time a little bit like, hmm, um, but he really embraced it. And the, I think from day one, so it's been th- a three year journey, we've been looking at the data and looking at how we do what we do and, 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 and moving along. And, and in the beginning, it was fairly straightforward. I mean, the first thing we had to do was get a CRM that was really strong and, and easy to use and going to be the, you know, really fit for purpose because we had been using a, a CRM that was really crap. And, and I would say that <laughs> to say we were using it is kind of not exactly yeah, maybe like 5%, 10% yeah. of it. A few people put some things in there. We used it more from the finance side to like yeah. issue contracts and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't use it as a CRM properly. On the CRM yes. side, which what, which platform out of interest did you, did you settle on? Uh, we settled on Pipedrive. And ah, interesting, it's, yeah. it's a, a CRM that was developed by salespeople for salespeople. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just a great, a great tool and really cost effective as well. And we've been able to customize it uh, very simply, writing our own integration and, um, and you know, things that I was able to do just on my own rather than yeah. having to get, to get someone in to do it. So it's been, it's been we've made it very flexible for what we, we need. And we use Pipedrive here as well. And I think one of the, you know, one of the comparisons that we make as well is when you look at other platforms like Salesforce and, and, and those out there, they become cost prohibitive to a certain extent, especially if you don't use all the functionality and all the hooks and all that kind of stuff. And then when you look at the amount of money that you could save by using a system like Pipedrive, which is probably just about as feature rich when you, when you know how to use the API and stuff like that, and you save all that money, it means you can do a lot more with that data and reinvest that money as well, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's a very good system, yeah. That's exactly what we we did. So we went and 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 kind of centered everything that, around that that CRM at first, and then and then really focused it, focused on the exhibitor at, at mm-hmm. first, and 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 now say maybe about two years into the transformation journey, we started to focus a little bit more on the visitor. Um, I don't know how much detail I should really go into, but I think that don't give all your secrets of, away. I know one, <laughs> of the, one of the things that that when when you start to look at all the data that we had, one of the things that became the most critical to me was being able to segment it mm-hmm. properly. So you know what you could do is you could just ask all your salespeople. You know when you go into a lead, could you categorize them for me, please? And uh, and that's what you know we had done to I guess for years and years. And when you looked at those categories, they were just <laughs> all over the map, and you couldn't trust anything that was in there. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we really struggled with from the exhibitor side is that as we put everything into our CRM and we wanted to start um, using the data smartly and, and going out, you know, and doing campaigns. So right now I'm focusing on I want to get um, you know maybe security uh hotel security exhibitors in well i can't find hotel security exhibitors or i can't find cheese manufacturers you know so we wanted to be able to start to 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 segment and we realized that there wasn't there was no way that you could trust the team to do it we had you know tens and tens of thousands of records so we weren't going to you know sit and go through them ourselves so we knew we knew we needed something a tool Mm -hmm. that that could um 
could start to categorize them. And, uh, and my husband is, he also works for the company. He's our chief innovation and insight officer, and he does a lot of the coding and we kind of work on this stuff together. And so, um, so we were on a cruise at Christmas, I guess a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. And I was just saying to Rodney, like the biggest problem I have is I just need a better way of categorizing. And I know we had done a tech startup before we'd used some technology like mm -hmm. this. I'm like, I know we could adapt it and be able to, to, to do this for our, our database. So, so we had four days at sea. And so I convinced him during those four sea days where we couldn't go anywhere anyway, we we're stuck on the ship. Let's work on creating this tool that will be able to categorize our data. <laughs> yeah. That's awful, so Lauren. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same, but then. <laughs> well, we both kind of like it, and so we we work on it together. So that yep. when you're creating a tool like this, there's lots of testing and how did it work and checking different types of keywords and how and that. So we were able to do it together. We're all spending quality That's time awesome. together, <laughs> <laughs> and and so we created a tool. We call it Bento because it's it's you know you're categorizing things into their little categories and. Uh, and yeah, so that's sort of the first big tool that we we created sort of on our own to be able to go through any set of data and categorize it. Just on that then, you know, developing your own platform, you're, you're lucky that you clearly have a, a talented husband who's willing to work on, on holiday. <laughs> and, you know, many, many companies tend to go externally and try and find tools and solutions that are off the shelf or, or a developer can work with them and create what they what they deemed to be necessary and um, very very rarely actually fits and ticks all the boxes was that the was that the case for you that you couldn't find anything or you just wanted to work from the ground up and, and build something very specific for the business yeah i've not seen a tool that's able to do what we needed to do i mean mm -hmm. you can go and hire a, a you know a consultant or, or um people to do it for you but it would be really cost prohibitive and the thing is is that we want to slice this and dice our information so many different ways and so many different times. And because we do food, drink and hospitality and those sort of communities can overlap quite a mm -hmm. bit because in hospitality, obviously, there's a food and drink element there. Um, we, we, would, we needed something that was, was f flexible and that we could uh, you know, focus it in this direction and then focus it in that direction. So it, w it wasn't really an option to to kind of go and work with someone and it, it would have been cost prohibitive and we, yeah. we felt like we needed our own system i mean i didn't mention it before but in addition to getting this the right crm in place the other thing i did was make sure that we had a common platform we were all working from yeah. because one of the things that you find in exhibition companies is you know this leader likes this supplier and they work with they do this, use this people, these people for their registration and yeah. these people for their websites. And these guys over here are doing something completely different. And one of the things I knew right away, if we were going to do anything more sophisticated, we had to be on a common platform that we would lose all economies of scale and opportunity if we started you know, piecemealing, you do it this way and we do it this way. So we needed to, first of all, be common on a common and, platform. And, a, and just on that, again, I think there's been a call recently in the industry for data across suppliers to be formatted in an agreed way so that you you know where you know you have to because of maybe logistics or, or things like that when you get that data back you can you can still use it in the same way everybody seems to format their, their exports in different ways and do different things which means it's just it really becomes unusable right 
Yeah, it, data has to be comparable and it's really, I mean, you could say different teams do it different ways, but even an individual, when they ask the survey questions or the registration questions mm. on you know what one cycle of their event they might ask them slightly different in the next cycle and so so one of the things around standard standardization that we we i won't say we've nailed it we're working on yeah. is really harmonizing there so that we also make sure that when i take a set of say registration data i can put it into our data warehouse and access it for all the different years because I've made sure that all of the different columns are comparable. Yep. So if we ask one time, what sector do you um, work in? And the next, and we called them one thing one time, and then the next year we asked them, you know, what part of the industry do you work in instead? You know, you, we need to make sure that we're using very precise language and consistently. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's amazing. I mean, the the fact that you've taken it upon yourself, one just to, to just to have that foresight to, to streamline supplier process and and unify you, you, the data coming into the business. You, you're setting yourself up for success because it's not necessarily right now. It might be in the next five years when you want to launch a new event or do an extra element to the event or something like that or you have, you know, your sales team has a great sponsorship idea and you want to target the, those key people, right? Yeah. Going we back. We gather that data to be able to have some objective evidence that this is who you're going to be able to target and we can segment them and we know these are the people that are really important to you. Absolutely. And it's important to be able to, to demonstrate that. So how have you structured, because a lot of people when it comes to personalization, they want, they want, 95 million different options and and they think that actually going super granular is the way forward because you know hyper personalized hyper personalization which we see a lot is is apparently the way to go forward which I'm, I'm not so sure about myself how have you set bento up for the success of of, of how to use the data yeah so i think that that there we've tried to make sure that there's a little bit of flexibility there mm -hmm. So one of the nice things about being able to run Bento for a campaign is if you wanted to go kind of like granular. So say as, a, as a, uh, an event manager, I've put into my commercial plan that I want to really target, you know, soft drink manufacturers. We might not have previously categorized them down to that level. We might have just put them into another category. But if you wanted to do a specific campaign, what we can do is work with our business intelligence team. It's really little, but you know we can we yeah. work with them, and we could bento our data separately for soft drinks. We need to understand what are the types of keywords that we need to be searching for, and how do we identify and isolate soft drink manufacturers. But we could do that. The thing is, is I always say to the team, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. Yeah. And so we have to be smart about it. So you know maybe a soft drink campaign isn't going to give us a huge return on the time it would take so we might not go there but we, we might and i think you would find that with with events you kind of have like peaks and troughs of amount of effort and work that's required and so if you're kind of like you know in the early stages of planning and there's a little bit of spare capacity you might set up some of the data sets that you're going to need for campaigns like that yeah then and then you might not actually action them until later. So so we can go quite granular if we want to and we think it makes sense. 
But for the rest of the data, we've tried to use fewer categories rather than more. So to give you an example, we just had an event where we were really able to start unleashing all this hard work for the last couple of years, which was the hotel restaurant and catering show, which happened in early March and actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Um, and so that show, you know, it's it's all things hospitality. We have four sort of subsections of the show, food and drink, technology, interiors and tableware, and then equipment. So it covers all kinds of, of, of types of visitors that would come to the show. But what we did was we actually only focused on six personas. So you could have easily said there was actually, okay. there could have been 90 odd personas that you could pick and say, these are important visitors to this event. But we only picked six, but we picked the six that we felt would deliver the most value to our exhibitors if we had a real stepped increase in the their participation in the event and and that's what what i think is important and, and the other thing is is that you can identify the data and be like here these are all our chefs but you have yep. to be able to do something with it yeah and if you're not going to be able to action it having it as a little subset of your data it's not really useful so it's about thinking you know from your commercial and marketing teams you know how much can we really do anything about. And so we had six personas that we wanted to focus on. And I would say four of them we focused more deeply on than, than the total six. So we kind of, we were strategic in, in how we put our effort forward to get the results we were looking for. And what did the, you know, you, you ran that in March. Have you had time to, to look and look back at the results of that? What if, and if you did, what did that, what did that success look like? Did it, was it, did you have targets in place? Did you have certain things that you, you know, that you wanted to reach and, and earmark out and, and did you get there? Yeah. So I think that uh, we're still analyzing the data a little bit because there's so much that you can look through and we want to really try and learn as much from that experience as possible for our next, uh, next time that we run sort of our largest events. Yep. And so I think the first learning I would say is that we had, you know, tailored messaging for those six personas and then kind of the rest of the population. And what we found is that there was a significant increase in um, conversion from getting an email to registering for those six. It varied depending on the six, some were, the, were like, 400% more than the average because we were just really focused on them and others it was a you know 33% uplift so it kind of ran the gamut but i think the minimum we saw was a 33% uplift over the general general population so these targeted emails were really useful so for, for chefs for example we obviously chefs and a hospitality show pretty key yeah. so we wrote really chefy content to them to get them to register and they, they registered at a much higher rate than the general population with this chef content. But like I said before, we went to painstaking effort to make yeah. sure that these are chefs, you know, <laughs> yeah. combing yeah. through our data, they're definitely chefs. And then what we found is that they're, they're, then we sent them still chefy content to convert them to attendance. And we had a massive uplift in their conversion to attendance. Then we did again, the general population. So that's a tick. We like yep. that. Interestingly enough though, and, and what I'm always trying to do is get away from declared data and rely more on behavioral data. Interestingly enough, though, of all the people who we like made sure they were chefs and then we sent them chefy content and then got them to register, only 38% of them actually declared they were a chef. Really? And so, so we went back through and we were like, but this guy's clearly a chef. Why has he said he's not? And this person's a chef and this person's a chef. And, and so... 
so it just proves i mean intuitively i felt that because when i register for i mean you could go back adam and look at what i put down for your event i'm sure i put some who knows what I put? I, I think you said cleaner, boy. right? You were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't want to be I known by all these guys. I don't want to. I don't want to get. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just kind of tick the first box. I'm like, yeah. I'm just like, don't have time to register. I do it really yeah. quickly. Um, so, so what we've really, what we've really understood is that um, the least reliable source of data that we have is anything that's declared. Can I just expand on that then? Because this is something that I've been, and, and registration companies out there will hate me for saying this. I know. Um, but, you know, the people want a, speed, a, a quick process, don't they, when they want, I'm interested in this event, please just send me my entrance voucher or my accreditation and badge, etc. cetera. Um, in general, happy to give business emails because we want that communication to come through some of them at work and give them a name, right? And even with that data, the tools that we use, I could identify what that person is from LinkedIn profiles and, and other data that's available to them on site. But we we insist on collecting all this information about them just to double check. And, and they're probably repeat visitors in most cases, maybe not every single year, but they've definitely probably been in a, a previous edition over the last three, four years um, if we've targeted them right. But we, we make them go through this registration process. And then actually what they do is similar to you. They just rush through it because they want to get registered. They know, they want, they know who they're seeing. And then at Event Tech Live, we use lots of technology around tracking and lead scanning. And we look at that information. And that's totally different to whatever they would say to us in the beginning, even in, the mo even in a lot of cases where we think people have actually taken the time to fill out that registration form accurately in their opinion still what they've done at the event and how they've interacted with exhibitors and sponsors and all that kind of stuff is, is in most cases totally different to what they've told us they're coming to the event for do you see in the future focusing more on what happens rather than what they tell us yeah absolutely and that's been a big shift for us so the first time we tested it on our pub show which was in february but the first time we really unleashed it in a big way was at hotel restaurant catering yeah and so what i'm trying to do is is almost not even pay any attention to uh registration data or behavior um declared data mm -hmm. so um so what we did there was so we start we had to start this about a, a year earlier so one of the things we recognized is that i really need as many people as possible to have a lead scanner and to be mm -hmm. scanning their leads because i can learn a lot about um which visitors were interested in that exhibitor by them allowing the badge to be scanned and it, because i've already started to do bento so that i understand this visitor better than whatever they said they are mm -hmm. i feel like i know that visitor better i maybe know my exhibitor a little bit better and now i can see what they're doing in the show and who they're allowing to scan them i mean the, yep. none of these things are 100 percent perfect there's always sure. error because sometimes sure. you walk in there and you're like oh gee scan me okay whatever but, <laughs> but you can see those anomalies in the data when you start to look at uh look at you you pick out case studies and st start to follow it sure. through and so so what we did is we started working on uh, making sure we could put a, a lead scanner in every single exhibitor's hand. So first thing we did was we gave one free to everyone and working with a supplier. And then we realized that was going to be cost prohibitive and just giving them one was not what we needed. So we created our own in-house 
uh, lead scanner app. And that way okay. we could offer unlimited downloads to everyone who wants one across all of Montgomery, which is is really helpful. So and again, on, on that, good. I would imagine by giving them your own in-house lead scanner, the collection of that data and information is aligned with however you want it as well out of the back end, right? You've got yeah. that connectivity of, of the, two, the two systems, really. Yeah, because you're setting it up to make sure, again, that all your data is comparable mm -hmm. and it all needs to be comparable. So, so it is... It's you're not trying to like make it work with integration of all these systems. We're we're in a lot more control this way, so it's been yeah. really good. So we needed to make sure everyone had a lead scanner. Um, the other thing we did is obviously bento everything so that we know a lot more about um, each of the individual participants, and then we've created a a tool called Sherlock because we love to create funny tools and give them our own name. So uh, so what we did is we looked at okay, we need some sort of way to pull all this information together and to kind of create a report card or a health check on your event. And so what we've done is we use sort of information from Bento, which covers all kinds of ways of trying to understand who someone is from social listening to LinkedIn to what their website says to all kinds of different ways. Then we've taken registration data because it is still some data and we do Every now and then someone's honest about it. So we do look at our reg data. We look at our scanner data. So who was all scanned at the event. And then we still do the traditional survey data because I think there's some value there, especially if you can make sure that you have a statistically significant data set, like yeah. enough people to make it uh, something that you should pay attention to. And we basically pull all that information together and we chop it and change it in different ways to kind of create a baseline report of how things are going. So we look at net promoter score, you know, as as and the, the usual things, but we yep. go into a much more granular level. So I want to know if I'm looking at the independent hotel show, I want to know net promoter score for my five-star hoteliers versus my four-star hoteliers versus my three-star hoteliers, because it matters. And, and it's interesting interestingly enough you'll see sometimes where you know the net promoter score might be 15 on average for your audience but it might be minus 32 for your key um, audience and yeah. so if you don't yeah. know that you might you might have a false sense of confidence in how you're doing so we've yeah. We've really, so Sherlock is our, our sort of tool that we've created in-house to, to, to really um, aggregate all of the information that we could possibly find and try and, and use it in a, in a smart way. That's, that's so interesting. I think I, I've been saying for a long time, for probably the last decade while I've been in the throes of event technology, that we have all this data and it is powerful only if you can use it internally for your own objectives or the objectives of your your sponsors, your customers, your, your attendees. And I think a lot of organizers are actually drowning in data because it's siloed in different ways and they can't bring it together in a format which they can understand it and then make actions on it. Um, that is useful if if you don't if you don't have visibility or you don't understand how to how to use it. Does that has that played a part in? I'm assuming that you know Montgomery have taken a lot of time with the team to to understand how what this data looks like and how to use it effectively. Right as part of not just building the tech, the tech is one part, but it, it's about I suppose culture and understanding of how to use that that data. Right. Yeah, I would say that tech is kind of the easy part because mm -hmm. I could be like Rodney, 
you're not having any holiday. You're, <laughs> you're making this bento tool with me. I'll test it. You do the coding. So the second part in some ways is easy. The making use of it is the hard part, mm -hmm. especially uh, like like we said, the, you know, Montgomery Group represents a lot of different events. Even yeah. um, in my part of the business, we have nine different events that we, we run, eight different um, event managers. So, uh, and we don't have, like I said, we can do anything. We're like, you know, a super team, but we can't do everything. And so, so what we've been doing up until now is piloting in a sense and testing it and getting it at the right level where we've scaled it up. So we've scaled it up on uh, an event that took place last month. And, and so what I'm focusing on now is how we, um, how we now roll it out across all of the shows in a way that people can do something with it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, and again, this is my background. I love continuous improvement and, you know, making uh, better processes and systems for how we do what we do. So where, where I th think, you know, this next few months, what I'm focusing on right now is making sure that I give the, my team, the, sort of training and support and frameworks that they need to now leverage these tools. Mm -hmm. So it starts way back from like, what is the framework for doing a, an event plan? You know, we have a cycle that we go through. We have a preliminary yep. event plan, a detailed event plan, you know, our on your sort of preparation and execution then on site. Um, and so how do I take the output from Sherlock and put that into my detailed event planning? What does that look like? What are some of the key questions I should be asking? So we're, we're trying to give people a framework that's not quite, you know, paint by numbers, but it's a little bit more, uh, there, 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 it can be slightly more systematic. It's whether, whether you're running a, uh, food event or a industrial coatings event. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in how you understand your audience and how you assess the health of your event and how you move it forward. So we're trying to leverage that. We're also, um, so I think that's the first bit and then, and then going through training. So we did some mm -hmm. training last week on just project management. I kind of did two versions, 1.0 and 2.0, kind of like, you know, yeah. some basics in project management and some base, some, some a little more sophisticated tools. So making sure everyone knows, okay, well, you know, what does, what does a proper root cause analysis look like? So, you know, right now we need your reactions always to, to address the symptom and not the root cause. So how do I find the root cause, you know, or if I'm looking more strategic, at my event, you know, maybe teaching them things like, you know, Porter's five forces and, and, and SWATs and different other mm -hmm. different tools they could use to look at that. So, so we're, we're really sort of doubling down right now on, on making sure that how we do what we do is, is tighter and standardized and, and there's frameworks provided to people. And, and yet, we're, but, but still listening and taking on board how, you know, individual experiences and stuff like that to make sure it's as robust as possible. And, and in some ways, that's, again, our silver lining, because I actually have a little bit more time now to work yeah. with the team to not a lot. I'm still really busy, but a little <laughs> bit more time where we can say, like, guys, let's just focus on making sure that we um, we take in some of this new knowledge. Yeah, I, I think that's so important, uh, taking the time to really make sure that your team understands what it means to them, the benefits to them, how to how to use systems, onboarding, and, and this will probably play out as as 
Montgomery bringing new talent into the business, right? There'll be a process of going, right, yeah. here are the tools that's available to you. Um, you know, to, to any business, one of the biggest cost centers is individual people spending time on a project, right? And we talk in the industry about streamlining and working smarter and all these kind of stuff. Again, the technology can help support that. But if somebody's not super clear on how to use something or, or the best way to use it for the objective that they've set out, then you've essentially wasted man hours, which means money, right? Yeah. Again. And then, you know, if we can tighten all that up, then the same amount of people can do more, which is great for a company's bottom line, um, or even go, okay, now we've got the capacity to launch new things without, uh, you know, um, taking from Peter and paying Paul. Yeah. It's, you know, that that's one of the things that I've seen lots of companies do is go launch, 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 spread their, spread their, their, their staff so thin that the, the core events and the, and the things that they were good at um, suffer for it as well. Yeah. So I think it's great that you've, you've, you've invested so much time in that, that education. We, we do it at Event Tech Live. We actually use a lot of our stuff. We use like pre-recorded videos on things like Loom and stuff like that. Just so it's a resource that people can kind of look back to as well. It's like, oh, I've forgotten about that. I don't really want to ask Admiral Paul because I don't want it to look like I've not paid attention, but I'll just look at that. And then it's there. It's a resource from, it's a library and they get on with it and it's, and it's super efficient in that way. So it's great to see you yeah. guys are doing the same. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. And I think that some of the recordings are really great. So, you know, you can go through a bunch of training with people. And now, you know, I can open it up to, to the wider Montgomery group and we can go through a bunch of training and, and like you said, video it. So it's there as a reference. People can go back. So, you know, if a new event manager starts, there might be, you know, three or four sessions that you say, yeah. you know, sit down and, and, and watch watch these and you'll you'll get a lot of the background information because there is no doubt everyone is busy and you can be really, really busy, but not really efficient and not yeah. really effective, but really, really busy. And so what I'm trying to do is just help people, you know, really identify those things that are most important and going to deliver the biggest impact. And then being disciplined to be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Would it be good to do that? Yeah, it would, but it's not part of what we're doing. It's not core. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Do yeah. the things that really matter. And I, I just think that's really important. I agree. Interesting. I, I, I'm going to bring you back at some point. Once once events have kickstarted again, in, in, and, in, you know, and you've rolled this out and you've had three, six months of experience, I'd love to bring you back and discuss some of your learnings and how you have moved and tailored that system on from where it is. Probably, you'll probably like launched, I don't know, four more new products and there'll be all these crazy names and I, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> the, 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 there's probably going to have to be some naming convention, you know, here to, to keep yeah, on track. Absolutely, absolutely. But, but before we wrap up, I'd really like to think, uh, I'd really like to ask you, what do these systems, what does that mean in terms of opportunity for Montgomery, do you think? What are the key principles taken out? Is that more events? Is that higher profitable events? Is that better satisfied exhibitors and attendees with content and, and meeting opportunities? Is it a combination of all of them? What, what's the future look like in terms of the opportunities out of this? Yeah, I, I do think that the way we're focusing uh, our efforts will 
will have many benefits. So like mm -hmm. you said, so I think it means that you can do more with less. It means that the your satisfaction levels will increase for your exhibitors or your visitors. It, it you know ultimately impacts your profitability. But I do agree uh, with you uh, in terms of when you go to launch and having a systematic approach to launches, being able to not only uh, you know get the right data and then interrogate the data in the right way so that you're going out with, again, segmented messaging right from the beginning yeah. um, it certainly will create an ability to to scale up and launch in, in the future I, I'm not gonna lie and say that I'm looking at a lot of that right now yeah. <laughs> you know I might have had a different answer if we talked spoke in January um, but I I obviously you know who, who doesn't want to grow and so I do believe that the one of the benefits will be that whatever we have on our books currently will be done better and smarter and you know more profitably uh, with happier people um, and then and then the, there will be that opportunity in the future when the time is right to look at other markets and uh, and uh, succeed there yeah and I think probably one of the other things that I think you were going to be in a real strong position to do is maybe when it goes to, comes to M&A and there may be opportunities for you to look at acquiring companies or events and things like that, um, get a sample data, interrogate that data, see how they've got it set up, see how switched on they are and all that kind of stuff, what kind of processes they've got in and actually, you know, use that again as part of the decision-making process on is this quality or is it just fiction based on what, what the experiences of somebody they're telling us. Well, and we've looked at a few opportunities, and I would say there is a lot more fiction than fact in <laughs> yeah. uh, people's perception of the value of what they have. Yeah. So I would actually say that the approach that I'm taking is going to set us up much, much better for organic growth. And, yeah. and because of the, you know, the multiples that we were seeing last year and, and yeah. even the multiples I'm sure we'll see going forward, I actually want to make sure that we're in the best possible position to do organic growth because that's obviously... Um, um, when you get that right, and if you yeah. have a higher pro probability of getting that right, I think that creates a lot more profitable opportunities. It's, um, it's a lot more cost-effective way to grow than, than going, oh, I'm just going to take you out or acquire you because you've got this, this, and this right, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. And, we're, and although we're 125 years old and we do have a lot of events, you know, we are privately owned yep. and um, and we're just not going to be able to compete uh, on price, you know, when, when you're looking at some of these opportunities. So, yeah, I think I think a, an organic growth strategy is uh, wise for us. But we'll see those 65 events on the backbone of Sherlock and Bento grow to uh, 130 next by the end of next yeah, year, uh, yeah. Larry. That's, that's, that's the promise. Larry, <laughs> I, thank you so much for coming on, on today's podcast. I would love to talk to you more again about what you're doing. I'd love to invite you to Event Tech Live to talk about what you're doing in November. Um, for anybody listening or watching and they want to kind of connect up with you or check more about Abbott, check more out about your events in Montgomery, where, where should they go? Where should they look? I mean, I think that uh, I'm lucky that I have a unique name. I think I'm the only Laurie Hoinkus in the whole world. So you can find me on LinkedIn and that's probably the easiest way to connect at this point. Awesome. Laurie, again, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast. Everybody that's listening or watching, um, check out Montgomery Events, connect up with Laurie. If you've liked what you've heard today, please do share. It helps the discoverability of this podcast. And this podcast is all about our industry learning from each other and, and getting better. Um, thank you for listening today and we'll catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.